The single line of wild swimmers' waterproof backpacks resembled a bale of turtle shells. They were stepping stones across the narrow river. Their yellow swimmer hats added synchronicity. Their rhythmic breaststrokes were a measured waltz. Not aiming to be in unison, but to stroke at the same meditative pulse for fear of losing their place, the silt powder below their toes blew up clouds of earth as each sweep of their reddened legs bowed into an off-centred V. Spears of purple wild orchids were their bollards on the banks where the stillness of the river meant bees, butterflies, dragonflies and water boatmen kept the five of them company as they passed by. A heron tried to remain inconspicuous in the dead branches and bulrushes were patient. But what of the waterboat women? Five bodies waded at such a slow pace you could question their buoyancy. Their backpacks kept their clothes safe inside a floating raft bag. At the front of the flock, Charlie dipped her head under and blinked. A strand of green algae stroked her rough face. They approached a particularly busy spot for algae. The batik flowed through their bodies and nuzzled past them, accepting that they were free to pass. The women didn't speak. They hardly even breathed. They ghosted in the water until midday. At the rear, but by no means tailing behind, Caitlin had reached a state of flow. Her early strokes were like a badly timed rubbing of the stomach and patting of their head. They'd been staggered and out of practice. But now she was pulsing, with a poetic movement that she'd not enjoyed in the water for many years. She was an amphibian again. Where was her mind? It wasn't in the river, or the riverbank, or the town, or her cottage, or even the pub. But it was in France, the day before the car crash. She and William had spent an entire day jumping into a stream at the end of the garden of their holiday cottage. Over fifty times, until half the water was displaced. They would count down from ten in French, and simultaneously leap into the air and dive-bomb into the cool waters. They had one rule and that was that they had to hold hands if they swam a bit, because neither of them were confident swimmers enough to go alone. Caitlin's chin cut the murky water at the rear of the group of five. She coped well with a quick beard of stray willow leaves as the ladies eased around a corner under a train bridge. No one felt the need to call out an echo. They just enjoyed the change in temperature, change in lighting and tone when the bricks flicked angles of sunlight into their faces. They were all tumbling into hidden thought and a space of peace. They sailed onward. Past the molehill fields, the pylons, the dilapidated huts, the saggy horse chestnuts. One woman accidentally stroked the foot of another in front and a little giggle filled the silence, but no words, just smiles. Charlie indicated to a jetty with her right hand and it received various whispered responses from thank God to finally. 
Caitlin kept afloat with the thought of a Guinness as she dug deep with her final few tired strokes, especially because the others might end up willing her on from the riverbank. It turned out she was considerably fitter than she thought. She'd forgotten how natural the water felt for her. They dried, dressed, and donned their cosy clothes in the pub car park. One of the group had asked a man in a broadband van whether he was all right, when he clearly fancied his chances glimpsing a side boob or bum cheek or two. He dived his head back into a box of wires in panic, and she enjoyed being the heroine of the moment and receiving a muted round of applause. They sat on a circular bench in a beer garden, half wet, half dry. Caitlin had insisted on buying them the first round, so she returned, shuffling with a tin tray and some slopping of beer and cider, doing an awkward emoji face. They cheered her arrival. And then they raised a glass to their new friend and WhatsApp group member. Charlie said she'd not wanted to patronise Caitlin, but they'd all just agreed on how proud they were of her. They couldn't believe she'd not swum in years. Caitlin wiped the cream of her Guinness from her lip and smiled. I absolutely loved it, girls. Thanks for having me. They chatted about their siblings because one of the girls had a sister's birthday party ahead. They all agreed that they had a unique way of being able to upset us, like they had a particular special root into our souls. Caitlin nodded, but then said no when asked if she had any siblings. She was much more involved in the chat about TV afterwards and made a little list in her notes of all the recommended series. When the most lively and beautiful of the group stood to get another round, Caitlin held up a hand and said she was actually going to make a move. Our bus stop was just down the road. She'd had a magical time and she hoped she might join them again. No one said anything to protest as they didn't really know her well enough yet. They all hugged her goodbye. Charlie even kissed her on the cheek. And then she was gone. At the bus stop, someone had arranged over a hundred conkers in perfect lines, exactly the same distance apart. What child would have wasted such a hoard? What teenager could be bothered? What adult would not be questioned about this strange act? Caitlin picked up one that had fallen off and completed the line by popping it on the end before she flagged down her bus. Then she got very excited about her sofa on the ride home, her footrest and her log burner and all those recently delivered logs. She had some moussaka cut up into slabs in the freezer from the start of the week. She seems to remember a particularly generous one. She definitely earned that today. And then there was that single malt miniature that she'd bought herself. She kept most of the lights out when she finally arrived home. And her bath that evening before tea was intentionally colder than normal. 